Podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Explore Soccer90's Dallas Burn collection featuring the latest burn gear from Mitchell and Ness, vintage tees, jackets, and hoodies. You're going to love these new additions. Hurry, limited stock available. And don't forget, Third Degree listeners should get 20% off and use the code Third Degree at checkout, soccer.com. Some exclusions may apply. Third Degree, the podcast is also brought to you by the Lindstrom Law Firm. For wills, trusts, probate, and business law, call 469-515-2559. That's 469-515-2559. Or visit lindstromlawfirm.com for a free consultation. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. This one is numbered 252 and also a victory podcast as FC Dallas wins over San Jose in the 2024 season opener. Two to one. And joining me, of course, is the normal duo of my very best FC Dallas soccer talking friends. First off, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Hello, hello. You sound well? Yeah, considering I've got Erling Haaland PTSD. (laughs) Boy, do you. I read somewhere today that Luton was the only team left that that they had played that he had not scored against, and so he blew five past him today. Yeah, now we're the joint most scored against by him. (laughs) But he still hasn't scored against us in the league. That's the main thing. You got something to hold on to. Uh, good for you. Your hero, my hero, everybody's hero. There he is, the uh, editor, founder of ThirdDegree.net and the original soccer influencer, Buzz Carrick. Howdy, Buzz. Come in, Buzz. Hi, fellas. I've been sitting here trying to think of something quippy to say, and I got nothing. Why don't you just go ahead and tell everybody what your uh, your uh, sweet nickname for your <laughs> wife is? <laughs> she doesn't have one. <laughs> Uh, is it Schnugger Puddums? No, I do occasionally call her Snake, um, like okay, from Snake Plissken. That's just weird. Well, it's she's really cold blooded, so like she like it'll be seventy eight degrees inside the house in the summer, and she'll still have on a sweatshirt and a blanket sitting on the sofa. So she just that is so a, I jokingly started calling her Snake because that's an awful marriage nickname. Yeah, Buzz. well, it's not a it's that's not a cutie pie nickname. That's just a let's go Snake when you you know let's get out of here. <laughs> Well, that wasn't the question. We want to know what your. You know. uh, is that how you celebrate St. Patrick's Day? Let's go snake <laughs> <out of it>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're all we're all giggles, guys, because we've started the season on a high with a big win uh, against a team that you know Dallas typically has some issues with, and it was a, a good night home game, uh, and uh, we got to see the new formation in action. It scares the shit out of me, Buzz. But uh, why yeah. don't you just kind of run through it for everybody, please? Well, yeah, you know, the, you raised some valid points the week before, and I think those points are all still very valid. Um, you know, it's definitely a work in progress. There definitely are some things that will need to get better. But again, it was you know, it's game one, and Coach pointed out it was game one, and he's not wrong about that. You know, it's it's going to have some growing pains uh, in this particular game. Some of the things we were worried about came absolutely to fruition. There are a couple things that are, you know, going to get better probably right away just because you can have different personnel available. But uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see what uh, I'm particularly curious to see how 
teams react to it when they see it a second time. You know, when you when you when you sort of get to midseason and people have tape on you and then are going to be less surprised by what you're doing. Uh, that'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. But uh, you know, overall, the the key takeaway is that this the coach wanted more offense this year and he got it. He got 22 shots on goal. So I think you know, macro level mission accomplished. It worked like it was intended. Dan, were they two Martin Paz saves away from disaster? I mean, when are they not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's that gamble, right? You compromise defense a little bit for, I mean, what, 21 shots, nine on target. That's four more than any game last season. One more shot on target than any game last season. Uh, there was something else that was more than any game last season, and I've completely forgotten what it was. Uh, but, you know, I actually weirdly had a chance to speak to Nico after the press conference because i bumped into him in the hallway and he was he was absolutely beaming about the uh, the attacking opportunities uh, I, th- I thought the way they uh, pressed through the game was exactly kind of what you you want to see out of uh, of that style uh, certainly some issues with balls in between uh, ibiaga and endelay and i got caught up quite a bit couldn't quite figure out receiving passes where to let it run across his body uh, obviously you know from the we've all read the breakdown uh, that buzz did we know exactly kind of the the 80 percent um effort of uh dante Sealy and and kind of where that's a work in progress but yeah i mean net result was good okay buzz did they play well did dallas play well in this game uh, no, cause you can, it's, it's a first game though, you know, right. so it's, it's okay that it's not flawless. And one of the things you can point to most directly, for example, would be, you know, the, 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 the large volume of shots is really nice, but only nine of them, I think it was, were on target. Obviously that's not as high percentage as you would like for a team that is traditionally a better finishing team, but then consider that the one of the most clinical finishes they have, Jesus Ferrer was not in the game. The ten million dollar striker you have come in, who you would assume is going to be a pretty prolific, you know, a shot on goal ratio kind of guy, also will help that. Just playing together more mm-hmm. is going to help that. So you know, there 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 are some cracks that, that were not ideal, um, but n- nothing that was like, oh oh my gosh, this is a huge ginormous problem. You know, a, a couple of small things, but things that will work out, I think, over time via personnel or via just comfort level working in a formation together. I wouldn't want to draw a real strong opinion about a formation from one game. You really need to run quite a few games in it before you really are going to be able to say whether this is a good idea or not in the long run. Okay. But I think if we're all just being honest with ourselves, the 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 glaring issue are is the wingback position. Yes, yes. And Dante Seeley and Endele's issues, both being very young, very inexperienced players. I think a lot of that showed uh, in the opener. Uh, it was great that Dante got the winner. That was that was fantastic. But leading up to that, there were clearly lots of issues with those two guys. So my question is. Does Nico have an alternative for those positions mm. of a that that will give him what he thinks he's he, what he wants to get out of Sealy and Endele, and also maybe a little bit better defensive work as well? Yeah, well, he and I talked a little bit today about um, how personnel might change in those roles when you go on the road. You know, we talked a little bit about who you can use in those spots and, and that guy could do this in a home game. The other guy may do this in a road game. So there will be some personnel issues like that. 
one of the key things about this that I, I, I sort of had was watching happen and I wasn't sure how much it was intended. Uh, and coach says that they're actually running a little bit of a hybrid back three in the sense, and this is actually a page out of the Oscar Perea playbook that, that when one of the wingbacks releases forward and attacks forward, the other one is supposed to not go. He's supposed to slide and it becomes a, a four essentially. So like we saw a lot more of Indole doing that correctly where he was coming back and Junko was coming over mm-hmm. and it was bouncing the shape when Sealy was going. Sealy did not do as good a job of getting back and being that guy on the outside and sliding and letting the whole thing slide the other way when Endele went forward. Now, admittedly, Endele went forward a lot less than Sealy did. But, you know, some of that, some of the uh, failures of that, and particularly the first goal, you can clearly see that happen where or Sealy is up and you could you could say and I did say that Sealy needed to have busted his tail to get back there and Junka comes across late well Junka was supposed to be coming across some in certain scenarios and so whether Junka was expecting Sealy to come back or whether Junka should have been over there earlier it's hard to really say it's not nobody's 100% fault on that first goal and delay didn't track his guy all the way to the back post Yaramendi sort of overcompensated for uh, uh, Junka being out of shape and lost his track. You know, so the the two central mid guys weren't sitting deep enough on top of that shape. So it's not just the one guy that's not getting back necessarily. All those things are kinks that will get better over time as they get used to this idea, this fluid back three that they're playing. So 100% yes. There are issues with those two specific guys that outside back. Those are home guys that are both very offensive. You might see a very different set on the road, and it, it, with time, hopefully, across our fingers, it'll all get better. But I don't know if you answered my question. Yeah, I tried did, to. <laughs> do, it, do, do they, on the roster right now, have the oh. right players to play this position correctly? Uh, I think... Maybe I didn't ask the question yeah, very yeah. clearly. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, you did. I think I just I just didn't quite answer what you're specifically were asking. Um, Farfan being hurt doesn't help. Parker not being in the mix uh, really doesn't help. So effectively on the on the left side, you're stuck at this point with Sealy. I don't know that Farfan has the offensive game really to play that formation ideally. Mm-hmm. His a lot more likely you'll see him on the road. You know when you need a much more defensive mindset. I think there are some crazy options of people you could see at that spot down the line, you know, that as guys get better. So, but nothing right now on that side, on the other side, um, Imoto Amasi is the most balanced player that you have in terms of um, being physically fit and healthy in a sense of like, he's cleared to play. He's not 90 minute game fit. And, but so right now it's almost end of bit by default. The the guy that has the ideal profile for that spot is um, Giovanni Jesus, but obviously he won't be out to midseason. And then again, I watched today, I watched Bernie try and play that spot again. So another guy they're trying to adapt. So definitely 100% at this point, they do not have a refined, complete player at either wingback position. Everybody is either a project or is a guy that doesn't perfectly fit the profile in those positions at this stage of the season anyway. Okay. Hence why I'm... Oh, yeah. The formation scares the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you raised that point last week, and that point is still true. It's still definitely true that it's not ideal. And I think that the hybridness of what they're doing is part of a reaction to that, that they know that, like, particularly at home, 
when they use those two kids that are very offensive that they need help behind sometimes and they need to adjust back. And again, the idea that one of them or the other needs to be getting back, neither one of them got back enough or early enough, you know, or got forward early enough. They both hesitated. They both weren't as proactive up and down. I mean, I said before to somebody like, if you're not puking your guts out at 60 minutes, you're not playing wingback right. You know, you need to be moving up and down the field, up and down the field, up and down the field. You don't have to sprint the whole time. It's such a demanding oh my gosh. physical and mental position. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, to put two guys so young and count on them to do it, it just feels really risky. Here's a crazy uh idea. Once he's healthy, could Farfan play left center back and Junka play wing back? Yeah, maybe Junka gets better forward certainly. Yeah, um, I mean, I know, feel it, like he's. He, I feel like he's got a skill set to play that position. I guess that leaves you with a problem at center back, but that's also a larger question about the roster as yeah. it stands right now. I think you know. I think coach, if things aren't going the way he wants, eventually he'll try some other things. I mean, obviously you could start Omar and put Nicosi at left center back, and then put Junka outside, for example, if you really were trying to find some other adaptations. So, you know, there, there's other things you could try. I, I don't think that he's necessarily feeling – I mean, he was relatively happy with Sealy, actually, when I asked him about him. I thought he would be a little more negative Well, he about did score him. the winning goal. It was yeah. probably hard to say anything negative about Dante. Well, listen, Dante Sealy, his whole career has been a guy who's gotten away with 80% effort, and then, but he's so skilled that he has a moment that does what he does, and he, and he scores a goal. That's, his, that's all his whole career. It's the reason why he's not at PSV anymore, though. Right. You know, so like if you're looking at an MLS life or if he keeps playing like this, if he doesn't change his ways, you know, and you don't have to sprint the whole game, but you have to at times recognize the moments that you do need to be 100% all out and not 80%, you know. Yeah. Um, the fact that like the center mid outran you as a wingback in distance covered to me is mind boggling. You know, it's wait, like, say that again. Iramandi ran, Iramandi ran more distance than Sealy did. You know, How is that even possible? They touted that eight kilometers or whatever it was that Yara Ram was the most on the team. Uh, you know, that's Alaro, the thing. by the way, was fantastic. He and, was. And, and, and we'll come and back I, to that. Yeah, we'll come yeah. back. Yeah. I do want to, we, we're talking about you know, young and experienced kids. And my biggest, like, shocking takeaway from this game, and you've been trying to prepare us for this uh, for the last couple of weeks, that has to be the single most impressive debut of a draft pick in a yep. Dallas jersey in the history of this club. I told you. Logan Farrington. Yeah. I mean, but, he, he, the only thing he didn't do, Dan, that night was score a goal. Yeah, he, kinda, he snatched his chances a little bit. Um, got to speak to him after the game. You know, just said his big takeaway was it's a lot different in college. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the physicality. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I thought his hold up play was fantastic. Uh, it was it was kind of like a lot what we saw in that into Miami friendly, just being able to make space to bring other people into play. You know, whether it's holding up or turning the defender, trying to kind of pull him out of position and bring other players into how into much, the game. How much did you love seeing a guy in his debut take a shot from the top of the box and put it on frame? I just, yeah. I mean, I mean, that was great. I loved seeing that. That was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it, it's such a confidence position to see someone just come in off the draft and just be like, okay, yeah, cool. I'm I'm replacing the D, the two DPs. Great, yeah, I'll go with it. Cool. 
It is weird, Buzz, that in one game we saw somebody play the nine position better than <laughs> as a rookie draft pick yeah. than the last two million-dollar veteran DP signings that played that were in that same position. Yeah, but that's exactly what everybody who had watched him in college said about him, right? That he was a very, very smart player and knew how to play the position correctly. You know, the, I don't think that that came across in the tape that I watched. Like, because Dan and I both watched that tape of him, the Hawkins highlight tape. You know, it looks like a guy who could score college goals. We, what you couldn't see was the larger team concept stuff that he already knows how to do. And that's what I said, you know, a week ago when I was talking about him. I was like, I said, you know, at, at this is the most advanced player at this stage that they've ever drafted as a striker out of college. You know, like there have been guys that have become better eventually. And and then he is right now. But, you know, who knows what he's going to look like in a year or two years. He may outpace all those guys. You know, Jason Christ, as a rookie compared to Jason Christ in year five, was a very, very different animal. Um, so it's exciting to have a player that be that well-rounded, that well-dialed in. Obviously, he's about to lose a lot of playing time. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. But it certainly is a, a – I mean, think of the minutes that – Hold on, wait a second. He's about to lose a lot of playing time. Let me knock on some wood here first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah. So, but think of the minutes that we saw over the last several seasons between Frank O'Hara and Jesus Jimenez play. Think of the minutes that are available for the second choice striker. And it's going to be Hammer Ansa. And I think right now we all know who the choice is going to be. You know, and so there's there's going to be plenty of minutes and plenty of opportunity for him to do good things. Um, you know, because I'm sure he'll, one hopes, understand the circumstances of what happens when a team buys a $10 million striker and you're a rookie, you know, what's going to happen, but that doesn't mean he's not going to compete. He seems to be a very level-headed kid from what I've seen. It's probably worth um, pointing out, you know, when we did watch that tape of him in college, a lot of what he was doing was dropping out wide, bringing other people into play. And that, that th uh, front three being at the head of that is absolutely perfect because he can drop out left and Ariola can come inside or sorry, out, out right, I guess. No left. Uh, he can, he can drift out wide, like, uh, Kamunga come into it. it it just it very much suits his style just like it it's going to be really uh key for for jesus how he plays the nine too even though they're completely different profiles of nines it is crazy that uh this all happened without jesus or paxton um uh, and i and that makes uh, i'm obviously should make everybody excited to see where this thing could possibly go and improve uh from here on i also have a life goal now buzz and yeah. that is to match you in mm. giving a player a nickname that carries on to an international <laughs> playing career yeah and i have logan's already queued up ready to go oh do you there's a pretty good one floating already what do you got what is the one that's floating around the beaverine oh well i st i called him beaver last week yeah i was gonna change it to big beaver big beaver's pretty good he's a big dude right yeah, big and beaver. i and i just think Big Beaver is a good one. And maybe I'd end up getting a Big Beaver tattoo someday. Yeah, it's Winona's Big Brown Beaver, if you're a Primus fan. Right. Um, yeah, so the Beaverine was the combination of Wolverine and Beaver. Oh. Because he didn't go to Michigan. He's a Beaver. So. And Logan for Wolverine. And Logan. For, yeah, it is yeah. pretty good. I like pretty, Beaverine. I did not come up with that. Somebody in our Discord did. I'll have to figure mm -hmm. out who did that so we can give him credit if it catches on. I think I like Big Beaver better. Yeah, they, they both work. I'm still holding out for Moose and Squirrel with Jesus and Moose that do good things together. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Alara, who really showed his class. There, I mean, look, here's the thing. There are aspects of this team and roster right now 
that I, I don't know if fragile is the right word, but there are clearly like the wingback position overall is an issue. Yeah. The, 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 the lack of depth at center back is an issue. But if yes. Alara, if, if, if Alara goes down or is out for any period of time, I, I think that really is going to change the mm. team quite a bit. Yeah, he does some things that nobody else really does in there. I'm hoping, obviously, players can learn from him. Um, the, the, interestingly, that stat that he ran the most distance and people were playing that up as a great thing, you know, at eight kilometers. I had two thoughts about that was one is I don't know that I want my 34 year old center mid to be the, <laughs> running the most of my team. But the other thing is, is that enjoy it in February. <laughs> yeah. The other thing about that is, is twofold is one is what Messi says, which is it's not like he was sprinting, right? right. He's just moving and jogging. And in, in hindsight, actually eight is actually low. Um, for your most moving player, central mids often run well over 10, sometimes up to 12 or 13, depending on what team you're playing for. Like Nico cited to me a game he was watching the other day. I think it was Liverpool where he said the two central mids ran 12 kilometers. And he talked about when he was at um, coaching in Spain way back when, when they had one of the teams he was with, he wasn't the head coach, but he was with a team when they ran their midfielders ran like crazy and they won the league. And then they, after he had gone, it was, he wasn't taking responsibility. He was just telling an example from his own background. So those players had stopped running as much a few years later and the team f fell quickly down the standings. And the point is, is like when you're in that central midfield role, you really do have to cover a lot of ground. Yeah. The double pivot helps that. And I think if you'll have ER with Paxton, Paxton should do more of the running than Iara will. Because right now, Frazier's doing more of the holding and Iara's doing more of the moving. So I, I think that'll balance out over time. But generally speaking, uh, eight is not that high. You know, so like compared to these internet, these these full field central mids do at the pro level. So um, it, it only bothered me that it's like, oh, he's 34. It's going to be 110 in a week and a half from now. I mean, it snowed today, but it's going to be 110 in two weeks. You know, and, and uh, so I am slightly worried about it in that regard, but um, you know, I mean, obviously the the ability. Well, it didn't is, feel like he ran so that good. much when you threw out that stat of him being the highest runner. I was blown away because yeah. I would have never, if you had asked me to guess who it was, I would have never put him or um, Frazier for that matter. Uh, yeah, I just felt like they did a really good job of kind of staying in a particular set area and i never got the sense that they were covering uh acres of ground like it, that so. uh, mostly but i noticed yaramini getting forward quite a bit into zone 14 he was doing a lot of that i think i think a lot of that was because bernie was playing one of the tens and bernie didn't doesn't know how to 10 yet on this team so like like i talked about uh, in our discord where i talked about there are adaptations that would have to be made because of bernie and someone would need to fill that zone 14 position that half space yaramini was clearly doing it now whether that was the plan or not yeah, I mean, he recognized that that was a problem and he took care of it. So, you know, you know, I maybe he'll do a little bit less of that when he's if he's paired with a Paxton maybe in the future, or maybe he doesn't need to continue to do that much. I mean, again, eight to ten is sort of uh, eight's a little on the low side. You'd think it'd be more like ten actually. All right, you brought up Bernie. Yeah, I would. I, uh, I I was really disappointed in Bernie's performance, and I was prepared for him to struggle in a position that really doesn't play uh, to his strong suit. But I was really surprised at the, and I hate, this is going to be probably unfair to s describe it this way, but it was the thing that came to mind as it was going on in the game. He had a bit of Obreon antics going on, complaining at the referee, sitting on the ground, not getting back up and getting on with it. And that was not something I remember ever seeing out of him before, which tells me he's frustrated yes. uh, with his role that he's been asked to, to do. 
Well, I, it may not be the role. He's definitely frustrated that he doesn't know what to do with it. You know, he's the game at this point. This is the way I see it. When he's in that spot, the game is moving too fast for his understanding of the, that particular position. So it's like swirling around him and he's lost mentally on the mental side. Now he's still a good player. So he oh, does sure. some good things when he gets the ball and he did, and he did have some, like he had two for three take ons, I think like nine, 10 duels. He still fought hard. He still battled. He still did some good stuff. I just felt really bad for him because he clearly was like completely lost in terms of the tactical idea and was getting really, really frustrated, you know? And I think people recognize that. I don't think anyone will hold it against him well, too much. So, so you surprised that he started over Legette? Couldn't Legette play that position better? Uh, yes, actually. Yeah. I, I think that, I think there's a calculation there that, you know, Bernie is a young guy who has a lot of upside that you think can really, really help you in the long run. And if you, it's understandable that his profile right now doesn't fit any of the particular things that you're doing tactically. You need to figure out or have him learn at least a profile that can fit that thing or your, your team is going to suffer for it. You could go with legit because that would be better today, but you don't care about better today. You bet you care about better at the end of the season. So uh, that's why I think Bernie started. And I think they'll continue to try and play Bernie in a couple of spots as they try and get him dialed in. Cause he's basically either been like a high over the top nine or like a wide slashing wing. And that's pretty much all he's ever done. So asking him to be this 10 underneath or a wing back or whatever else you're going to try and do with him, you know, he's going to be lost for a while, but you'll just have to growing pains it and they'll have to just put up with the growing pains for a while. So like I, I, I thought it would be legit because I thought you'd want to try and go all in on winning game one, but I totally understand why they didn't in hindsight, Dan. I think one thing uh, with, with legit as well is, you know, you've got Mendy and, and Fraser starting legit's here. You're really only other high level midfielder, uh, you know, with, with Paxton out briefly. Uh, Norris obviously is between positions right now. Siki uh, wasn't there too. Yeah. Uh, Siki's obviously got his, his green card stuff going on. So the last thing you need is, is legit starting absolutely blowing out of his ass. And then one of the two center mids goes down. Yeah. Good point. Hadn't thought about that. Uh, Dan, after game one, what is your comfort level with the three man back line? Um. Oh, we all like living dangerously, don't we? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's um. You know, it's it's not even the three man back line for me. It's it goes back to the wing backs. Uh, you know, you're you're wanting the you know, as Buzz mentioned, right? You you had the the whole thing of Sealy goes Endelay tucks in, and you know, sitting up obviously sitting up higher. Uh, for the game, you know, you definitely got a, a better visual of that. Um, you know, Endelay did that pretty well when Tumasi came on. You know, he was he was at home doing that. Um, but there were a couple of times where a ball was just played over the top to uh, I can't remember the fella's name. Is it uh, Kikinovic? Um, who absolutely roasted Ibiaga just in that half space between where Endelay should be if he's not caught upfield and, and where Ibiaga is. Now you've got Tafari, great pace, can recover well. You've got John Cook can, can pull over himself and kind of, uh, that sounded wrong. Uh, he can, yeah. you know, tuck inside a bit further. That still sounded wrong. Wow. I'm two for two. Um, 
he can cover. Um, I don't know. I, I, I unless you had another really fast defender, which you know FC Dallas hasn't really had since Walker Zimmerman before uh, Tafari. I, I'm not really sure what what the options are, or if you just play a little deeper, or, or is it just a case of hey, you know, San Jose had one really quick player and a, and a way to get the ball to him. Not everyone's going to do that. I mean, Buzz, isn't isn't the way to attack Dallas at least? just on the first eyeball test is to just plant somebody high in between whoever's playing right wing back and Ibiaga and just, and just exploit that space because that feels to me, that's the real soft, that's the softest, softest spot right now. Yeah. I think it's where Christian Espinosa was for San Jose, but on the opposite side, you know, like Junka and Sealy, um, other than that first goal, for the most part, I think did okay with him. But that same idea on the other side, you know, because Endole is going to be really uncomfortable for a long time, and Ibiaga doesn't have the explosive recovery pace. He's he's relatively fast in the sense that he's not slow, but he's definitely not like bursty or quick or rangy anymore. Uh, Father Time's undefeated, you know. So, well, I'm thinking um, of that 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 late opportunity for San Jose that Martin had to make the amazing save on. Where somebody just played a ball to a guy and he just ran past Ibiaga and yeah. there was, you know. Well, there's a factor there that we can save until we get to the training port, or we can do it now. Okay. What is? Oh, uh, is this the? Is are you getting to the the player mm-hmm. that was not at training today? Yep. Well, go ahead. I guess we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So Ibiaga at the end of the game had a calf issue, which is why on those late runs he was getting beaten. Ah. So like he's okay. he's basically has been out through today. He was out. Um, he's being evaluated. Of course, I'm not uh, coach did not seem real optimistic that he would be available this weekend, but there's a chance, but again, it's Wednesday already. And you know how this coach is. If you can't go on Wednesday, you're probably not going to go on the weekend. Um, unless you're Aces for, okay. um, so I think you could call it questionable for sure. And maybe he might be out right out for this game. And then we'll see what happens next week. So that was a little bit of a factor into why he was struggling particularly late on those runs. But again, losing, you know, get coming up lame later in a game and breaking down later in a game as you're getting older, that's a part of it. That's a part of Father Time catching up with you. You know, having Ibiaki play 90 minutes week after week after week is not good at all. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, it was bring a bring chicken uh, Omar Gonzalez in. Yeah. Oh. Right. Uh, we'll talk about that here in we'll a little bit. We'll get there, bit. yeah. Um, all right, well, a fantastic goal. We didn't mention it, uh, but the fantastic strike by Ilara to open the, the, the scoring. As he's being dragged down, by the way. Yeah, as he's being. Yeah, it was just, it was, yeah. yeah, off his, I mean, every element of that was, was great. <laughs> yeah, he's a fantastic fine in addition uh, to the club, and uh, we, we love, love having him on there. Anything else about the game in particular and the win that we should get into? Um, in terms of players or tactics or anything like that. Buzz. Well, I thought Nikosi Tafari was just, again, tremendous, you know, covering up for everybody. Yeah. Leadership wise. I mean, like the level he's at defensively compared to everybody else, you know, Junka is serviceable. Maybe when he's hundred percent is serviceable. Nikosi Tafari is a different level. He's an elite, elite defender and he showed it again. And he's an elite leader at this point too. Uh, just everything he's doing for me is just pure class at this point. And he really, I think he really is in the conversations for some of the best center backs in the league. Honestly, I wish he would get more respect around the league. Than he was does. he on the, um, uh, nation's league call up list today? No. 
I didn't think to look. He was in the Camp Cupcake, but yeah, uh, I knew I guess that. He didn't current translate. No, he wasn't. It was only Ferrara and Kamunga. Okay. All right. Well, that's disappointing. Um, but, uh, with with Tafari, there was a stat that kind of stuck out to me: recoveries. Iaramendi fourteen, Tafari fourteen. Next mm. highest, Seely was six. Hmm. Yeah. There you go. Eighty percent Seely. Well, I mean, well, you say that, but the rest of the team combined for what, maybe fifteen between them, other than those three players. It's just the the level of of activity that you've got between the Yaramendi and and Tafari there. Yeah, it's incredible. Interesting. All right. Well, hey, look, win is a win. Three points are 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 the same shape, no matter how you get them. They're still three points, and it was yeah. a good way to start the season. Um, I I uh, I will throw this out here real quickly and ask you guys for your reaction since we got to see them in in the uh, in person for the first time. I think those are really cool looking kits in a vacuum, but those are no way, shape, yeah. or form a Dallas kit. <laughs> I still feel exactly the same as last time that I think it's it's a great jersey, but it's not an SC Dallas jersey. I mean, some people think it is, but like, is it me or is it even more blue overall than we thought it was? Yeah, um, I thought it looked more more blue, less purple. It just looked like the, a two-thirds blue jersey for the most part. And when you throw the shorts and the socks in, it's like a totally a, a, a mm. navy kit with a red accent. Yep. Yeah. My favorite thing about it actually was when the whole team would be moving in an offensive direction, they're 100% solid blue, and then the team would transition. <laughs> the whole team would turn back like a fish. The whole thing would go, whoop, and they would all be red. <laughs> so that was my favorite thing about it. Yeah, I don't like, like the back on that thing at all. Yeah, I, I mean, at least it's red. You know, look, I, I, I I've said my bit. Cool. I mean, I, people aren't gonna are gonna get sick of me talking about it. But it's like you broke your, you didn't have a strong brand anyway in terms of your kit design, but you threw all that out the window. And it, it's red and blue and white. I mean, I give you that. So I guess that's it now. So sad. Day what for was me, the percentage but. of people in the stands wearing it? I did not notice it nearly when they did the Ranger powder blue kit. It was clearly obvious that everybody went and bought it and immediately put it on. This one was not as obvious to me, but then it's just a blue kit, you know, with some blue and red kits. So it's like, there's a lot of blue and red kits in the building. Yeah. So I didn't notice it at a high percentage, but admittedly people had, you know, trouble picking up their season ticket holder kits or whatever. So, um, you know, maybe it'll be more next game. Okay. You know, again, it's it's a nice kit by itself, but that's the problem. Is by itself is the problem. You know? Yeah, mumble mumble, old man. All right, well, the clouds. Hopefully, it gets uh, better from here. We'll talk about the game against Montreal here in a second. You did go to training. Uh, you did mention that Ibiaga appears to be the guy that was missing and maybe missing this particular weekend. But really, Buzz, all anybody wants to know is what's Buzz's first impression of the moose. Do you remember? Um, when Cobra showed up here and I told you that the first session I watched like five minutes and I was like, Oh no. And then 10 minutes <laughs> in, I was like, Oh no. And it was awful. And I was like, I, and I told you guys on the pod, I was like, yeah, that was crap. It was the guy sucks. You remember that? Oh yes. I What's the opposite of that? Cause that's what this is. is the oh yes. yes. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it's the, he's been here Orgasm. two days. He's been here two days, but, um, Words like clinical, decisive, ruthless, affecting, 
you know, it's all there. I mean, the complete package is there. Now, it could turn out that he's a total moron and sucks at soccer anyway. But in training, he's dynamic, uh, obvious in terms of it's affecting the game around him. He looks he's, huge, he's tall, big. Not, not, he's, not like a meathead yeah, huge. He's, he's just short of Omar Gonzalez in height. Um, he is definitely not fat. Coach said that um, he was working with a personal trainer and personal coach uh, before he came over and that he was taping the sessions and sending the session tapes to them so they could see what he was doing oh, wow. and wow. knowing that he would be fit. Um, so I talked to coach specifically and I said, you know, can, can you start him this weekend? And he said, yes, I can. Wow. It'll just come down to, um, you know, how many minutes they think he can go and, do they think he's integrating with the team? And based on what I saw, I think the answer to the second part of that is yes. So then it'll just be like, okay, do I think I can get more than a half out of him? If I can get more than a half out of him, then I'll probably, then he'll probably start. And if you can't, then you just bring him off the bench in the second half. So we'll see how it goes. But did, did uh, Dan, did you happen to go today too? I, I didn't. Okay. Buzz, did he do anything or show any particular trait or skill set that surprised you or really caught your eye? Um, he's tidier on the ball than I expected. Um, I think, you know, based on the tape I saw and uh, it's quite understandable perhaps that when he was with, you know, when he's playing for some of these top end of the Portuguese league, that the, the space might be a little tighter than it is in MLS training in the middle of the week. So he looked for the ball did not, wasn't loose. The ball stuck with him fairly well. I really liked that. Cause I was expecting a big, tall, lanky striker to be pretty loose with the ball. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't. So that was that, you know, he's classier touch than I was anticipating. That was the thing that was surprising me the most, but everything that's on the tape is there in real life. So that's, you know, this is obviously a player that clearly is worth, I'm not going to say what they paid for him. Cause that's hard to judge, well, but clearly it's a guy that knows that he's good and everybody around him knows that he's good and they can tell that he's good. And there was no, you know, you can tell when players think a dude sucks. You know, this was not that. This was a, you know, had an aura, if you will. And I don't, I don't want to get, I tried to get overly excited, but a lot of times when I see these foreign players come in, within that first session, I'm like, oh, you know. <laughs> At this time, I was like, oh, oh, that's lovely. Mm, yes, please do more of that. Mm. You know, that's gross. That's so, stop talking creepy. like that, Buzz. <laughs> I, I do wonder how much it helped. Uh, obviously, you know, there's always the communication. Nico can and and the coaches can give him a plan to work on. Uh, you know, while he's in Croatia or, or in Portugal, wherever he was kind of based out of at the time. But you know, he did get that week with the team in Spain. Yeah, he is an EU national. He's able to work there. They were there, so there's no, you know, there's no need for the ITC or the the visa for him to train with the team. Hmm. Yeah, I, I put, that probably was an invaluable thing, you know, and, and, you know, based on what I watched today, I, I, I did not see any questions with integration into the team. Co- coaches, obviously thinking of those things at a much higher level than, you know, we do on this podcast or that we talk about in this podcast. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable with the idea that you could start him right away. I, I even asked coach, I was like, you know, is, do you worry at all about, I don't know what you would call like player politics that a guy's going to could, could theoretically walk in and start. And he's like, no, no, because everyone in this team recognizes what people, this team paid to get him. 
recognizes what level he came from and recognizes that he's coming here with the idea that he's going to be starting. Everybody knows that already. And so they all knew when he came in, it was going to be a big deal. Uh, and in this particular case, what matters is, do you live up to that expectation? That's what people react to negatively or positively. And I think, you know, it's only been a couple of days plus the time in Spain and the way everyone was treating him, it's pretty clear that he is living up to those expectations. To me, as a partial occasional observer, it seems clear that he is. Well, it is all exciting. It's very exciting, to be Shiny honest. Shiny new toy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when you combine it with Jesus Ferreira being back full-time in training, too, that's pretty exciting. Hmm. Yeah, well, so let's talk about that. Like, what mm -hmm. is the injury status of him and Paxton and yep. anybody else we need to worry about before we start talking about starting 11s for Saturday? Sure. Well, Jesus is back, and so is Paxton in full-time training. Um, Paxton looks great. Uh, he always works not really fat. hard. Not fat at all. He looks terrific. Those photos the other day, the one that we were laughing about, was clearly misleading, but I knew that because I had seen him a month before. I was afraid that he had had some sort of setback and had sat around. I don't think so. He looks terrific. He's moving really, really well. Now, Paxton always works really hard in training, so he always looks really good compared to everybody else. You compare that to Jesus, for example, who's more of the rawing Hollingshead school of training, which is like, I'm happy to be training, but don't ask me to do very much. You know, I'm going to turn it on in the game, you know, which is not to say that he's lazy, neither was Ryan, but they're not like Paxton who runs through walls in training. Right. So, you know, Jesus looks like Jesus always does. Funny enough... You know, it, it's probably less likely that you'll see Paxton just because of the play, people that are available at those positions. Um, what else is worth talking about in, uh, in terms of injury? Um, Ibiaga, I mentioned, is probably uh, probably out. Korcha, as I mentioned, is out. He was running on the side doing rehab, but he's probably got two more weeks at least, maybe three, before he'll be back. So, question. Uh-huh. If Ibiaga is out and Korcha is out. Yep. What is the center back situation? Well, today they called up Carl Sante from North Texas, who's a six, and he played center back, which he does quite often. And Dan, you'll understand what this means. He had on FC Dallas gear. Oh. This is not North Texas gear. I, well, I, uh, uh? So one of the first signs that we use to know, to know a player has been signed is that they change gear, that they get – first team gear instead of oh, North Texas gear. That's right. I remember it's you... not definitive, but like, for example, Michael Colodi, who's the North Texas keeper was with the first team today. He's wearing North Texas gear. Carl Sante was wearing FC Dallas gear. So I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying these are one of the signs that we use. So he was up and he played sick, uh, played center back. Um, Ima Tomasi played center back. So like that group was like was wait so are yeah. we is is this a hint that possibly if Dallas is thinking about adding depth at center back this is their solution? Well, it could be because if you only need it short term, you can just bring a guy up for a short term loan yeah, and a short term back, loan like they've done before with center backs from that. From yeah, that group. but that's not what we want them to do. No, I'm just I know, but that's what I want them to do is not what they're doing. Right? This is too. I like to live in reality. Is Carl Sante worth even having a discussion is a, a, a viable option yeah. at center back at MLS level? Yeah. I like him better as a center back than I do a six. You know, he'd be a death piece. It'd be like Korcha. You wouldn't be excited to see him start, but, um, you know, he's a he's a 20-year-old, 21-year-old that starts for Haiti all the time. You know, he's an international. You okay. know, plays in gold cups and stuff. 
you know, he's got some potential. Uh, I like him better in the back because he can be a little less tidy back there and, and be fine. Um, and, but like I said, Ima Tomasi played center back today. Um, you know, you, you could, as you've mentioned, Farfan could be an option at center back when he's healthy, you know. So, um, Farfan's still out, correct? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, okay. I'd have to look at my notes specifically, but I don't, I don't remember for sure where to put my notes. I'll find them here in a second. Um, yeah, li- listen, I mean, at this point, the front line is almost surely going to be Junka, Omar Gonzalez, and Nikosi Tafari at back because I don't think he's going to be back. So those are going to be your starters. And then behind that will be Ema, Nolan Norris. Nolan Norris is an option there. Um, Farfan, if, he, if, he, if he's cleared. Um, Carl Sante, if they sign him. I mean, that's what you're looking at, mm-hmm. you know. None of them are ideal. And it underscores the idea we were talking about all spring that they're missing a center back. You know, even once you put – like you remember my my whole thing about Junk as a center back that solved my roster build problem. But we've said quite clearly if you're going to play three at the back – it's not just five, you need six. So like they're still short of center back even when everybody's healthy. You know, and in, in, in my humble opinion, that's the case. So, you know, they're gonna be basically down to like no actual real center backs on the bench, um, as near as I can tell this weekend. All right. Well, it feels like this is a good time to seg into Buzz's prediction of a starting eleven versus Montreal, brought to you by soccer90.com. <laughs> yeah, well, pause is obviously in that. Uh, like I just said, Junka Omar Gonzalez will start in the middle because of his experience, and Nikosi will be on the right. That helps you compensate for whatever you're going to do at right wing back. Left wing back will be Sealy. Really, there's no other option at this point. It's going to be Sealy until um, Farfan gets cleared as a maybe an option. But again, Farfan might be more likely to happen on the road than at home. Um, right wing back, I think there's a good chance that they'll try Bernie at right wing back because yeah. it is a home game. And I looked at the way Montreal plays, and Montreal lined up as a 3-4-3 also, which means that on the outside, there's not going to be like an outside back and a winger overload. It'll just be their wing back. So really you're talking about Bernie not having as much to do defensively, and he can just run the line and probably try and attack from deep. So I think that's a very viable option this time instead of Indelay possibly. Um, if I had to bet, I would think you might actually see the Bernie might be not be a bad idea. Um, well, their uh, their shape's quite a bit narrower as well, so that kind of gives them that little bit more freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Eramendi is a lock. Uh, the other spot I'm going to say probably will be Frazier again. Just even though Paxton's healthy, it's like he's only been healthy and cleared for a week. I just said, of course, that he's he looks great and he's really fit. And if they want to put Paxton in, fantastic. But Frazier wasn't bad, you know, and and you might just give Paxton that little bit extra week because he is Paxton. Um, the front line, I'm going to roll the dice and say Musa starts. Mm. I think he looks good enough, and I think he's fit enough that he'll go. And then Paul will be back, and I think they'll put Jesus right in there because he's Jesus. You know, if you had another 10 that was, like, doing good things – like if Bernie, if Bernie had killed it or if Velasco was healthy or if Legette was like super viable in that spot compared to Jesus, then you might say maybe, okay, but I, I think there's no reason why you will go straight to Jesus. So yeah, the, the, the couple of points are Bernie versus Indelay right wing back, and I think it'll be Bernie. Does Paxton come back in? I think they stay with Frazier, and I think Jesus walks right back in, and I think Musa starts. So that's your 11. 
Uh, Montreal comes to Dallas on a second straight road game to start the season. They went to Orlando uh, and got a nil-nil draw. Played a lot of defense, it appears. I have not seen the highlights, but looking at the stats, it does look like they probably set back a lot of... And probably, obviously so, Orlando's a pretty good team. So that's not a bad result for Montreal to start a season is to go to Orlando uh, and keep them off the scoreboard and get the point. So... Uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, um, what else do we want to talk about? Oh, now here's the other thing I wanted to bring up today. So uh, the NFL Players Association <laughs> released a survey about a whole set of different metrics. It's kind of like the player survey we get in yeah. MLS. And uh, when it came to the Chiefs, Andy Reid, obviously, like A-plus coach. Clark Hunt last 30 seconds. He savaged. He yeah. got an F minus. Like, I didn't even think F minus was a real thing. <laughs> and and then everybody was pointing out that this was related to the lack of amenities, uh, training amenities, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it dawned on me to uh, ask this question. If if you guys, if they were to, if they were to survey MLS players, where would Dallas sit? in the hierarchy of uh, amenities and features and training equipment and stuff like that and facilities. Well, it's gotten a lot better the last couple of years since Nico came in. He's made them do a bunch of stuff. It, it got way better. Like they renovated all those locker rooms on the south end of the stadium. They have a, they have they bought they bought out that training facility nearby, that indoor training facility. They have a new weight room for the players that's down where that Whatever that medical thing that was on the first floor is gone. There's now a weight room there. Yeah, Ben Hogan's on there. Yeah. Um, so, like, in terms of, you know, three years ago, it would have been near the bottom, you know, because you would have had the elevator stank problem and all that kind of things. But I think now it's probably mid-table. And you, you can't undersell how good the complex is and how good the Dallas training field is because, you know, the grass here is phenomenal. That fit That training pitch is phenomenal. So, you know, and the, and the playing surface here is pretty damn good. It ain't Cotton Bowl good, but it's pretty damn good. So, yeah. you know, and the funny thing about the whole Clark deal is that it, it, that's like the, his own players are voting that, you know. And, and and then, of course, they immediately drop some renderings of their renovated arrowhead they've got coming or whatever, which I thought was really funny. Um, whether it was in response to that or not, or just a total coincidence, it still made me chuckle. But Yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't figure out in my head if Clark Hunt – being kind of the living robot that he is reads that and has any emotional reaction to it or just thinks to himself, yeah, I get it, but it is what it is. Probably looks at his two rings and says, I don't give a shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I just don't, I don't know how to calculate that. I just won three Super Bowls in five years. I don't care. Um, yeah, who I, needs it, good, who needs good facilities? Yeah. I'll, I got a coach and a quarterback. It's all you need. Yeah. Um, the other thing I will throw in in terms of facilities is that most teams don't have their stuff at their stadium too. Like they have training complexes, other places, you know, even if they have a new brand new, amazing, cool, awesome training center, a lot of times it's, you know, two hours away or an hour and a half away from where you're playing your games. And Dallas has it all in one central location. That's all really well done and really nice. You know, it's like, so I, I don't think it would be elite, but I don't think it would be at the bottom. I think it'd be middle of the pack. There's some bad situations out there. Like, I can't even imagine what the Rapids have. Do they even have a training field? You know, I, I, I mean, know. they barely have a stadium at this point, right? So, you know, 
the look at what New York has. Do they have a training facility? They play in somebody else's stadium. What do they have? New York City. Right. I think so, they're building a facility. Well, yeah, uh, but that ain't now, in, right? Yeah. That ain't now. So, you know, I, I don't think that Clark would be voted the worst owner in MLS when you have guys that are out there doing, I mean, what are the Quakes doing, you know? Well, the Quakes have that new stadium. Well, they do, but like, have they done anything else? You know, I, I, no I don't idea. know what any given situation is, but, you know, there have been some, Orlando was pretty bad until they hired Oscar. You know, Miami's playing in that, you know, I'm sure the Miami owner would get a lot of big votes, but if you're talking about facilities, they're playing in that Fort Lauderdale stadium they built for their second team. They don't have their first team facility yet. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't know that Clark would be bad. And especially when you roll in the idea that they're about to do just absolute complete reno of the, of the whole thing. So that'll make it even better. I keep hearing about this vaunted uh, uh, renovation, I, but I'm not going to believe it till I actually start seeing shovels in the dirt and crap like yeah. that. Well, based on the people I know and the stages that I understand that things are moving, is that it might be mid-season this year you'll see shovels in the ground. Well, well they got to announce it first, right? Not necessarily, but yeah, probably. Okay. You'll get a photo with a golden shovel in the ground. That's the announcement. Yeah, right. probably. Yeah. You know. All right. It's definitely happening, though. You know, or at least they're spending all the money on the, all the parts that have to happen first. So, you know, they're they're in the middle of all the getting the plans done and that kind of phase. So, uh, before we end, can we just take a quick second to throw a shout out to Edwin Cerillo for sticking up uh, in in the face of the Barcelona trio coming after him and and sticking up strong Dallas style. Yeah, he did pretty good, and he got pretty. He stood up pretty tough. He did get beat for the goal, but yeah, I well, yes, and ultimately he got messy yeah. at the end. But he went. Who doesn't? Uh, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, yes, he very much got messied, but everybody gets messied. But I did enjoy seeing a Dallas kid stick yep. up for himself in front of Messi himself. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know Have you read, have you read Edwin's quote about that incident? Mm, no, no. What do you think? He, he says that, uh, he said, whatever Messi said to me will stay with me forever, but I won't repeat it. No, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. He also said he kind of blacked out. Yeah. Well, wouldn't <laughs> and then you? Said it was, the, it was a really big moment for me. It was just a moment for him or something like that. <laughs> the, the only thing I didn't like is someone asked him, oh, did you tell him not, uh, you know, don't mess, mess with Texas. And he said something like, well, you know, I'm kind of like in LA now, so I'm kind of <laughs> from oh, LA now. Oh, all right. Well, at least he, he probably at least was thinking it, right? <laughs> that was a great scene. I love that. Uh, okay. Well, um, good first pod of the new season, boys. Can I throw a couple of North Texas notes at you? No. Okay. Nobody cares. Well, you might care about these two. Oh, okay. Um, Tark Scott's been doing really well with him. He looks really elite. Uh, I'm really excited because, you know, coming off the double knee thing, that was obviously a worry. You know, oh, that's his good mind would be, And he's been cutting dudes and tearing them up. He's my coach, by the way. Oh, is he? How, at, the, at the media game last year, he was my coach. Oh, that's he cool. He was my manager. Yeah, very cool. He's a nice kid. Um, and the second is that at this point, Ennis Solly is with North Texas. He's not in first-team training. Hmm. So temper expectations, like I've been saying, in terms of think of him as a homegrown, he's a long way from being viable. I do think if he were to get in a game, like his pace would catch guys napping. But I think it's a long way from him. Like, and they won this week, right? They beat Austin. Uh, they beat Austin. They tied Houston 
Um, it's all scrimmages, so don't read too much. So oh, they got okay. trialists. Yeah. They got dudes out there that you never heard of. And um, the one thing I will say about uh, Solly too is that he did not make the FC Dallas bench this game, and they had an open spot on the bench. They only had eight players instead of nine, so they could have kept him and put him on there. It's not like he got frozen out by somebody else being better. It's like they they literally were like, "It's better for you to go play with North Texas." He's not being a punk, is he? I I don't know anything about that. I couldn't tell you. I just right. can tell you that, like, big picture, I think he's not uh, fitting in tactically and with the concepts. You know, he is an 18-year-old kid. He literally just turned 18. Remember, they had to wait before they could officially sign him. So I would not I – would, I would temper expectations for how long it will take for him to get, you know, fully integrated into the team, the first team, because he's basically this week he's been with them, as far as I know with the second team the whole time since he traveled with them and they just got back. I think they played Saturday, Monday. And so they would have traveled back either Monday night or Tuesday. And he wasn't in first team training today. So, you Speaking know, of, uh, young off season signings. What do you make of Patrick Delgado? Uh, so far what I've seen, uh, he looks, uh, up to speed in training. I did actually ask coach about him specifically today because I'm like, look, I've only seen him in a couple of drills here. What can you tell me about him? And he said, he's great. He said he, he can really move and cover a ton of ground. Um, very physical, great athletic tools, physical tools. So it sounds like an exciting player. Um, coach was really positive when he was talking about him. So I, I really have not seen him a lot in a full side, only like about 10, 15 minutes in a full drill, full field drill. That's not the same as seeing him as a full game, so I can't really give you more than just like my quick opinion is that he looks up for it. He looks up to the pace of the first team training. You can tell guys that aren't they can't handle it. You know, mm-hmm. he's not looking intimidated. He doesn't look nervous. He looks fine. So, I, you know, especially when you're playing six, it's kind of a subtle position. It's hard to really get a good read without extended watching. But I, I think he's quite interesting. I, I don't think that he's going to be in the mix for a start anytime soon because that's a position that's going to be really, really bound into what you're trying to do tactically. And you've got your Mindy Frazier and Paxson all probably in those two spots ahead of him. But I think that it'll, it won't be long before you'll start to see him get in minutes. I would imagine that he's already ahead of Nolan in terms of the pecking order, um, mostly from experience probably. So we'll see how it goes. You know, Nolan's a brand new six where this kid's probably been a six for a long time. But uh, positive impressions, if that helps, not as yeah. not as like holy yeah. crap like it was with Musa. But I, I completely forgot about him, and I just clicked on uh, when you said they they ran short on the bench. I, I looked at who was on the bench. I was like, oh yeah, Delgado was there. Yeah, yep, yeah. They were body short, which that was. I was like, oh, oh that's crazy that they that they thought it's better to send Solly off with North Texas than it was to have him sit there, which is you know probably telling really quite honestly so in preseason they definitely had a problem of like where to put him yeah they Fair. tried him in center mid and that kind of advanced inside forward role uh yeah. real, real quick before we end guys uh there was uh rumors or at least reporting today jeff carlisle the athletic that open cup schedule is about to be announced and it looks like a limited number of mls teams will participate dallas at least in their reporting, is one of the teams that will 
be in the Open Cup this year. Yeah, I can confirm that. I was tipped off to that today, um, and then I was told that it wasn't the announcement wasn't coming out, so I was holding it. And then Carla, I went with it, so I can tell you that that is indeed true. The Dallas part, the, the limited team parts, yes, and the Dallas will be in. Yes, I can tell you those two things. Now, now, how much it's going to be straight FC Dallas? What are the details of how much North Texas you can use? I don't, I don't know. I'm not privy to any of that. But there's some kind of announcement coming soonish this week, probably, that, and Dallas will be playing in it. So, all right. Well, First round is expected to be what three weeks times, uh, two weeks time. So uh, we'll, we'll get there pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got to establish the format before you can play round one. So hopefully, we'll know f- relatively soon. Um, well, I look forward to all of these Open Cup games being overflowing sellouts. Yeah. Well, Dan, who's in? Who's in locally? Is t- is Texas United in locally? Do you remember? Uh, they should be because they have the yeah they will be because yes. of the record they had in League Two yeah they were um, second League Two that's right Lubbock Matadors I think are supposed to be in this year not that that's local did Four Old qualify in I can't remember I know they were close I can't remember I think they may have lost the last game uh, yeah. the final hurdle no they they got through did they very good I think so I didn't remember we'll we'll verify that all right well there you go. That's everything we got. I think we've, yes, uh, we've emptied out qualify. the red crayon run sheet, Buzz. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Yep. All right. Well, very good, boys. Yeah. Good first effort. Not yeah. Logan, Logan Farrington good, but pretty <laughs> not, good. Not two hours long like last week. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> we had lots to talk about last yeah. week. Yeah. Third Degree, the podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. Explore Soccer90's Dallas Burn collection for all the latest Dallas Burn gear from Mitchell and Ness. I've seen it. it that stuff is fantastic. Vintage tees, jackets, and hoodies. You're going to love this stuff. It's awesome. Limited stock available. And don't forget, as a Third Degree listener, you get 20% discount in-store and online. Soccer90.com. Code Third Degree. Some exclusions may apply. Third Degree, the podcast was also brought to you by the Lindstrom Law Firm for Wills, Trust, Probate, and Business Law. Call 469-515-2559. That's 469-515-2559. Or visit the LindstromLawFirm.com for a free consultation. Well, great. All right, Dan, thank you very much, sir. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Buzz, as always, Captain, well done. Pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for being here to host for us. Love to do it every week. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you next week with hopefully three more points on another episode of Third Degree the Podcast. Feed the moose. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nap Podcast. 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 Podcast.